tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party. Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free comedy to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads. This is My Kind of Weird, a podcast where two people pitch and swap three kinds of media, something watchable, something readable, and something listenable to see if each other says at the end, that's my kind of weird. Guys, I'm quite excited about the guest that we have on. She's going to uh, give us a really interesting sort of perspective uh, around the comic book scene as a whole, both from the editor side, but also from the fan side as well. My name is uh, Anthony Pollock and joining me today is fan base press editor-in-chief, Barbara J. Dillon. Hello. Hi, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Barbara, are you ready to get weird with me? I am ready to get weird. Okay, so Barbara, present your Something Watchable. Sure, absolutely. So uh, my Something Watchable is the film Annihilation from 2018. Your husband's here. Let me see him. He's extremely ill. You have to tell me where he was, what he was doing. It was his decision to go in. It's something they termed the shimmer. We've sent in drones and teams of people, but nothing comes back. But something has. Uh, This was written and directed by Alex Garland, uh, and it was actually based on a novel of the same name by Jeff Vandermeer. Um, Fans may remember that it starred folks like Natalie Portman, Jennifer Jason Leigh, Gina Rodriguez, Tessa Thompson, and Oscar Isaac. Um, And it was a a sci-fi horror film about a group of scientists, all of different uh, fields within science, uh, that have to travel into a mysterious quarantine zone that is strangely mutating both plants and animals within. There have been several teams of explorers that went in previously. None have come out alive. Um, So we pick up uh, with Natalie Portman and team as they are traveling in. Um, It's uh, so creepy, um, but it's so cerebral (laughs) at the same time. And honestly, I, I remember leaving the theater and thinking to myself, I don't know what I just watched, but it was, <laughs> but it was instead of being really strange and off-putting, it was off-putting in a way that I ended up going through a rabbit hole of research into what Alex Garland was thinking with the film and what he intended mm. to do with the themes. And I just became enraptured in it. So I absolutely love this film. Yeah, it's a... Uh... It's an interesting take. I honestly, I, I thought about uh, when I when I first watched it. Obviously, the the film had a lot of issues with, I guess, landing somewhere. I think it went to Paramount, and mm-hmm. then it all started there, and then we went through so many different other studios. I find it interesting that you actually got to see it at the theater. Did you say? I did. Yes, I saw it in the theater, wow. and I don't think that it did well in the th- in the theaters. And I know that there was, like you were mentioning, there was a lot of studio intervention. I believe at Paramount, uh, they were really trying to 
tone down the cerebral nature and how dark it was. They really wanted Natalie Portman's character to be more, and I'm doing air quotes, more likable as a character. Um, and this is just I always not, try that with her and I don't understand because right? it's just at this point she is likable. If you just exactly. let her do her thing, then, you know, um, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And and I love that Alex Garland really pushed back and held his own and said, you know, this is this is the movie that I want to tell and it is dark and it is depressing. Um, but it's really about at the end of the day, it's about self-destruction and the it's like a quadruple entendre of self-destruction and what that means both physically, molecularly, uh, psychologically, and that's I think that's what's really intriguing for me. Mm. How good is the bear though? Oh God, the bear. Oh, I had nightmares about that bear. Just the, the combination of voices that they were able to ensnarl within that, that Mm. bear's growl. And then after I watched way too many behind the scenes, uh, featurettes of, of the film, but seeing what they actually created with the creature effects, there were like multiple creatures mouths within the bear it's disgusting but also again just completely encapsulating at the same time (laughs) (laughs) i felt like it it kind of gave an interesting sort of i I guess perspective on evolution as a whole Um, absolutely i don't really know any super religious people anymore but um mm-hmm. i mean i'm sure they're still alive but um, <laughs> i don't i don't know any super religious people anymore but mm-hmm. um i imagine this would have been a challenging watch for anyone of that spectrum or of any sort of belief of sort of sort of a deity as a whole because it very much takes that sort of pure science um i i guess uh, story and just cranks it up like several notches as well it's very much that and it it it's very much like a i guess it's it's a very feminist story as well in a way absolutely oh i totally agree and i I think you're right on the money in the fact that i think that this is more of a uh non-denominational and very evidence-based look at self-destruction and evolution, as you were saying, because there are so many different uh, facets of self-destruction, both we uh, we as human beings, what we have our propensity to. There's, I remember in my research, there was a um, an actual psychological term called annihilation anxiety, which is this very intrinsic fear that we as human beings have of threat of our own survival. And so it's this very basic danger that we fear and that we will act in various ways to combat or to to prevent. Um, and I think that that really speaks to and goes into, again, exactly what you were saying and that this is this is very evidence-based. Um, I, I, I would be curious to speak to someone who is more uh, of a religious nature to see what they would think of this film. Yeah. Uh, and I feel it, it's definitely that, that sort of that basic survival instinct as well is, is definitely commented on as well when it comes mm-hmm. to that, uh, I guess, that annihilation of self theory too i can't say i was on board for the the sort of the creature at the end Uh uh-huh i was gonna that was literally going to be the next thing i was going to ask you what did you think of me (laughs) (laughs) um i kind of feel that films like this who are making a statement 
And although it's a really different film, like um, Snowpiercer is mm-hmm. another film that is so great up to a point, but it gets to that point where it's just kind of like that kind of that that kind of uh, peak in the film where sure. something else needs to happen for it to to sort of you know wrap up the film for it to come to an, an eventual conclusion. I feel like there's films that are very high concept like this that mm-hmm. sort that that miss the bar or they they either miss the bar or they just they take it too far and I feel like that creature was an example of that so sure, sure. no that makes sense are you I, and I have to ask uh are you an Alex Garland fan overall I don't know I, I know he has a very distinct filmography and and some people gravitate towards it some people don't where, where do you fall on that spectrum um let me see he's I done um, to 28 Days Later, Sunshine, 20 oh. Weeks Later, um, Dread, I think, was a little out of out of yeah. the, the yeah. ordinary for him. And, and Ex Machina comes to mind as well. Haven't seen Ex Machina. Um, have seen 28 Days Later and 28 Weeks Later. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just looking at his, di- uh, I was going to say discography, um, <laughs> filmography. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I guess sort of going back to my point, like, uh, the Beach was mm-hmm. one of those ones as well Well, where everyone was into it and I just didn't feel it. Um, I'm the same. Personally. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same with The Beach. Yeah. So I feel like he's, um, like visually his films, he's one of those directors where his films are amazing. Mm-hmm. But they're, I guess just for me personally, it's, it does have he's one of those directors that has that sort of that that danger where it's going to be a hit or a, just an outright miss for me. I I came to Ex Machina late. I think that I actually saw Annihilation first and then went back to uh, Sunshine um, and then came to Ex Machina. And I don't know that Ex Machina wowed me as much as it wowed everyone else. I still really enjoyed it, um, but I think that I felt the same way that you did about uh, many of his other movies. That it just it was really great and very interesting to chat with others about, but I don't know that it ne- necessarily wowed me. Yeah, yeah, it's. I still haven't really jumped on the Ex Machina um, bandwagon yet. I <laughs> haven't even seen it to be honest. I, I that is um, okay. Uh, thank you. <laughs> um, out of all the people I will speak to in the future, you are probably the only one that will give me the okay for that. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> um, all right. So my something watchable is 10 Cloverfield Lane. Yes. There's been an attack. I'm not sure yet if it's chemical or nuclear. Where are we? Underneath my farmhouse. Hey. Sorry about that. What happened to your arm? Were you trying to escape? I was trying to get in. There's a woman. She wants me to let her in. You can't tell her! You're going to get all the skills! What was that? Quiet. For those of you who are not familiar with the Cloverfield series, I... um, quite surprised that you're not familiar with the Cloverfield series. So, um... (laughs) (laughs) Um, obviously, it's, uh, science fiction, um sort of mixes with horror um, uh, series, franchise, if you will. Um, it start. I mean, the original Cloverfield found footage film I still love to death because mm-hmm. it's one of those, I feel like it's the only real science fiction film that 
even, you know, dared go into the found footage thing. It was all part of the the found footage sort of, I guess, trend that lasted for all of, I don't know, I think it lasted for about two years and maybe that was the end of it. Sure. But um, 10 Cloverfield Lane, it it does a complete sidestep. It's from the perspective of two people trying to escape sort of the, or actually just a person, I should correct myself, trying to escape the, the dangers of the the alien beasts, leviathans, whatever you want to call them, that are trying, they're pretty much wiping out humanity. And she ends up in the bottom of a, I guess, a uh, end-of-the-world conspiracy theorist bunker, which, uh, and it, she spends her whole time in a very sort of claustrophobic situation where she is, uh, I guess, sort of, Fearing for her life uh, by um, uh, because of John Goodman's character, Howard Stambler, and Howard Stambler is the guy who created the bunker. He doesn't want anyone to leave and he will do anything again he can to make sure that they can't leave. There's this really awkward scene where she's trying to go up the vent, which I am not a thin person by any stretch of the imagination <laughs> and is, that is probably the worst uh, situation that I could ever imagine myself that would being stress in. me out. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not quite as bad as if you've ever seen the horror movie The Descent, where they're going down sort of the caverns and the caves. Oh, um, goodness, it's not yes. quite that bad, but it's still still pretty shocking. Um, it it uh, does commentate a bit and on the I guess the human experience in terms of who. Uh, well, how people act when they're put in a highly stressful situation. So um, it's great for that. Have you seen uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane? I have, yes. And I actually, uh, I enjoyed 10 Cloverfield Lane more than Cloverfield. Um, yep. I I was not necessarily on board for the whole found footage craze. I think the one film that I enjoyed most was perhaps... Um, Oh goodness, it's escaping my mind. Uh, Paranormal Activity. Uh, okay, yep. there was something about that that was fun and also terrifying. But I, I really liked the narrative of Ten Cloverfield Lane. It, it very much surprised me. Of course, there were some things that were expected. Um, I think you were always kind of suspicious of, of John Goodman's character, but overall, I really liked the message, and I loved at the end, um, Jennifer, or what is her name? I'm sorry. Um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, uh, the, the protagonist. Um, she essentially drives back into the fold because she has had combat training and she heads um, back to the city to help other people because they need people with medical training. Um, and I, I just really liked that message. I felt like it was a hopeful message, even in the face of, you know, lots of death and destruction. I, I really like how it ended. So, so yeah, I really like the film. I also like the, the sort of, I like how with H3 Cloverfield films, none of them relate to one another. So mm-hmm. you got the first film, which is about, I guess, sort of the happy-go-lucky bachelor um, who is kind of finds himself in a situation where he's just trying to survive the attack from the sort of Cloverfield Leviathan monsters who, for some reason, look a lot like the um, Neon Genesis Evangelion, <laughs> yes. you know, uh, angels, but yes. that's a whole other thing entirely. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you got the obviously this film, which is just about people just to have, I guess, 
survive the onslaught. They're just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the, I think, uh, the last film that they did. The Paradox? It's, yeah, it, Paradox, it that's yeah. it, where it's about, well, they're the ones that bring about the whole, that open the, I guess, the dimensional portal to let all of these monsters in. So, yeah, I like how none of them relate. How mm-hmm. It's almost like an anthology of films about the the same problem. Have you seen the the Cloverfield Paradox, the third film? Yes. Gotcha. I, I have not honestly seen that one. Is, does it go back to found footage, or is it third person narrative again? So it's almost it's almost um event horizon ish in terms okay. of tone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's based on this space station, and the experiment they're running uh, uh, lets loose uh, everything from the dimension that the, I guess, the Cloverfield monsters come from into our dimension. Got it. Interesting. So it kind of explains how they get there. There's a lot of very odd visuals that don't really relate to the other two movies at all. But, yeah, again, um, yeah, Cloverfield. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, So, Barbara, present your something readable. Absolutely. So I know that this will probably split your listeners, um, but I am a gigantic ginormous fan of the Hunger Games book series. Um, uh, For those unfamiliar, uh, it's a young adult dystopian novel series written by Suzanne Collins. Um, It uh, stars uh, teenage protagonist Katniss Everdeen, and it's in this dystopian version of North America that uh, consists of a a very wealthy capital and 13 districts that surround it, um, which are in various states of poverty. And each year, uh, they commemorate a past war called the Dark Days um, by having a lottery with the children in each district. And a the lottery selects uh, a boy and a girl from each district to go to the capital and do uh, a te- televised fight to the death called The Hunger Games. Um, this was uh, very famously uh, adapted into a four-film series, um, which had various... Uh, well-received versus not received in terms of fans and uh, critical response as well. Um, And I will just, I will uh, reiterate my love of the books and maybe not necessarily the movies. Oh, oh, I see see how you can split the audience. Um, I really like how there wasn't any attractive people in those films. Mm -hmm. Um, That was great. Um, There wasn't any attractive people and there was no famous people in those films, so it gave all those kids a chance, so that was good. Yes. I'm just going to say I have heard that the book is better um, the last book that is, but yes. I feel like the the last film there was something about it that just didn't quite. The second half just didn't do it for me. Absolutely, I, I hear you one hundred percent, and I concur. Actually, and, and the, even within the Hunger Games fandom. Uh, there's a lot of uh, people who really like the second book, which is called Catching Fire, uh, the most. Uh, I am much more a fan of Mockingjay, which, as you said, is, is the last book of the series. Uh, it's probably the most dour. It's the most mature of the three, very much like the Harry Potter series. It kind of ages up as the audience ages up. Um, but I would compare it to something like Rogue One, where it's it's a very disheartening and bittersweet story, but there's so much hope buried within that sadness that I, I really gravitate towards those types of stories. So that's why I, I'm a huge fan of the, the third book of the three. Uh, 
Did the did the characters that are portrayed in the films are they at all alike? Was the um were the were the casting spot on? Uh Mostly. I think that a lot of people, uh, so in terms of the films, the first film was written and directed by Gary Ross. um, And the rest of the films in the series were directed by, oh no, I'm forgetting his name. Um, I will find it while I'm, while I'm speaking. Um, But uh, I think tonally, unfortunately, the writing for Peter Malark, who's one of the the three in the triangle, um, wasn't quite what it was in the book. And I think the casting, when you have someone who looks like he, Liam Hemsworth or any Hemsworth for that matter, and you you pit anyone against them, they're going to have sort of an uphill battle. And so I think the chemistry just wasn't there between Katniss and Peta, who spoiler alert end up together in the end. Um, so I think that that the characters, unfortunately, and especially the the actors had really an, an uphill battle throughout the remainder of the series because that chemistry wasn't there. And I, again, I don't think it was any fault of the actors. I don't, you know, they were kind of given uh, what they were with the script. Um, but unfortunately, the, the chemistry simply wasn't there. So that was that was a little tough. Um, but uh, but it is what it is. And that's fine. But like because that chemistry wasn't there, it created an interesting performance myself. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Especially it kind of, because it wasn't there, the, yeah, as a viewer, you kind of are saying, oh, well, she's not into this Peter guy, she's into this other guy. And then <laughs> when he sort of uh, does the, um, I guess the, in one of the films he does the, uh, I guess he betrays her a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of, you see the, it's, 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 it's just interesting how you see, you, you kind of rationalise that on your end as a viewer even though that's not what they're trying to do from a story perspective. So, um, yeah, that's, that's interesting. And Um, Francis, Francis Lawrence was the name of the, the director who came in uh, for Catching Fire and then stayed with the rest of the series. Excellent. So my something readable is the Deadliest Burkett issue one, uh, which is a murder mystery thriller about three sisters who try to solve their mother's murder. Now, it's written and lettered by Erica Schultz. Uh, Colouring and, well, interior art is by uh, Car- uh, Carola Borelli. Colouring is by Gab Contreras. Um, it's obviously a comic book and it's uh, recommended sort of by us, by com for anyone who enjoyed the Boom Studios series and Unkindness of Ravens. Have you had it, been able to check this out yet? Barbara? I have not. I, I know I've been following for a while that the Kickstarter is going to be launching later this month, but I, I was having trouble finding. I didn't know if they had previously released the first issue or teased the first issue at all, so I wasn't able to find it. So I don't really want to go uh, into what it's about so much because it is about to go to Kickstarter and I don't want to spoil it for anyone who's going to, you know, or planning to sort of back that but uh what i can tell you about the 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 art is very feminine which i think is great uh for anyone who is not familiar with erica schultz's work she uh, at least for for me from what i've read previously of hers her characters are very all round uh, well-rounded they're very um they they're usually uh, i guess 
not necessarily powerful women, but they're just women um, that are well-rounded. There's uh, she's a great writer because she she taps into little quirks and idiosyncrasies of characters that a lot of uh, comic book writers sort of miss out on. So there's that part of her that I that I enjoy without it sort of feeling forced. There's you can tell there's there's certain writers out there, especially and I guess I think uh, male writers definitely fall into this trap when they're writing female characters is they look at how women that they know uh, how they um, how they sort of interact with them, but that's just how the women they know interact with them. It's not how women necessarily interact with each other. And if the male writer is, you know, a lot older, maybe 40s or 50s, and he's writing about women um, now who are in, like, characters who are, you know, teens to mid-20s, then uh, how they're portraying those women are usually a bit far from the truth, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. um, probably you might have more to say on that <laughs> issue than I do. But um, it's just that I guess the the point there is they're not often believable, whereas Erica's work um, as a writer definitely is. So, Am I correct that it's going to be a three-issue series? Is that right? Uh, let me see. I think that I saw that. I'm pretty sure it is. Again. Yeah, okay. I'm pretty sure it is. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, de- I'm definitely on board and looking forward to the, the Kickstarter when it launches. I, I will definitely be backing in. All right. Uh, present your something listenable. Absolutely. So I know that there are probably a thousand and one, probably even a million and one Star Wars podcasts out there. I am a gigantic Star Wars fan, um, but I have to recommend this one specific podcast, and it's called the Blast Points Podcast. To me, uh, the sound is a very important part of the picture. It's not just a, uh, an assembly line thing where you sort of cut the picture and then you just dump the sound on later. It's a much more uh, thought out than that. The sound effects in Star Wars are really what gives these fantastic visuals credibility. Uh, it's run by two gentlemen named Jason and Gabe, uh, and they're deep into the podcast. They've been doing it for years. I think they're on 255 episodes at this point. Um, but if you can encapsulate two individuals who are not only extraordinarily passionate about the topic of Star Wars, but also extraordinarily knowledgeable and just simply very charismatic, I could listen to these guys talk about Star Wars all day long. And sometimes I do. Um, so it's, they, they, uh, do all different, um, all different topics within Star Wars. Obviously, if you have 255 episodes, there's a lot to talk about. Um, but sometimes they'll do a specific focus for a year of their episodes. They'll focus on the prequel films. Uh, they'll, they'll focus on the saga as a whole. Um, some of the guests that they have on are absolutely tremendous as well. They've had on um, screenwriters. They've had on composers uh, that have either worked within the Star Wars franchise or are simply very knowledgeable about music composition and they will break down the entire score of one or more films. And it's just absolutely incredible to hear the depth of detail that they go into. And then, like I said, they're just so passionate and really fun to listen to. So sometimes they'll talk about the goofier moments in Star Wars history, and it's it's very informative and very fun. 
Um, I'm probably going to split my own audience now. Um, what, <laughs> what is, which is your sort of trilogy when it comes to Star Wars? Oh, I'm, I'm going to get a lot of hate mail right now. So I apologize, but, um, I'm going to go with the sequel trilogy. Um, okay. it, it was, and I will say why it was a tearful moment when I got to sit in the movie theater and see a woman hold a lightsaber. Um, okay. that was, yeah. that was pretty, pretty impactful. So, and I also say I'm a, I came into Star Wars very early. I have an older brother and we essentially had the original trilogy on repeat in my house growing up. Um, but I, I didn't quite get into it until the Clone Wars, Dave Filoni's Clone Wars. Um, and so much so that uh, I just had twin girls and uh, one of their middle names is Tano. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of the Clone Wars and Ahsoka and uh, just everything that it's added to the franchise. All right. Um, so try not to send uh, Barbara hate mail, <laughs> yes, everyone. <please>. <laughs> what about you, Anthony? Uh, do you have a, a trilogy that you prefer? Not that not, you have to. You could be uh, a Star Trek guy, and that's totally fine. Oh, I am a star. I'm just a sci-fi guy, to be honest with you. Yes. Um, there are very <laughs> little sci-fi series that I haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, I would have to say, I don't really have a trilogy as such. It's more a film. I feel like um, Empire Strikes Back is sort of the golden standard okay. for a sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other examples of golden standards, but when it comes to the, I guess, the realm of science fiction, um, and yes, guys, I'm aware it's actually technically science fantasy, but it's um, fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, it it's uh, it definitely sets the blueprint for how a uh, how a franchise can turn into something completely different. I mean, mm-hmm. here is a film that. Uh, started basically as a kid's show when you think about it and then completely morphed and turned into, uh, you know, a story about betrayal and all those sorts of things and became very adult in its sort of its tone, its delivery and who it was really targeting. So I feel like if there hadn't have been an Empire Strikes Back, I feel like... Uh, I guess franchises, film, film, and I'm talking about multi-movie fi- uh, film franchises mm-hmm. would look totally different. I would go so far to say that if um, there hadn't have been an Empire Strikes Back, there wouldn't have been the blueprint for Infinity War. Infinity wow. War is is definitely a modern day Empire Strikes Back when you look at everything that makes up that film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I could be, I could totally back that statement. Yeah. Excellent. It's good to have someone that agrees with you. Um, (laughs) um, So my something listenable, since you sent me a podcast, I had to in tandem return with a podcast that I really enjoy. Mm. Now, Barbara, not too sure if you're much of a fan when it comes to fictional scripted podcasts. I Um, am. I'll tell you a a long story, but uh, I'll wait until you're done because I want to hear about the Wolverine podcast. So I chose Wolverine the Long Night. Uh, Thanks for the introduction, Barbara. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I believe the lead. I was worming my way up a ridge and glass in the meadow below. The wolves are fading in and out of sight. And that's when I saw him. A man. He's crouched low and he's running with the wolves. And he stared right at me. 
Now, when Marvel people think about Wolverine, you know, with the, the claws and the growling and the snarling and the, you know, not getting over Jean Grey, um, <laughs> you'd think to yourself, um, how can this possibly be a podcast? And more, well, I guess it could be, but of one of substance, I just... I feel that you, if you are one of those people thinking that, I feel like you definitely need to check out this podcast. So Wolverine the Long Night, it's actually Wolverine the podcast. So Wolverine the Long Night is season one of the podcast. So that's what I'm talking about today. So it's written by Benjamin Percy, which is a Wolverine writer. Uh, points right there. It has uh, Richard or stars Richard Armitage as the voice of Wolverine. He's also the introductory narrator as well. So when you think about Wolverine on film, you naturally go to um, uh, Hugh Jackman. But when it comes to the voice of Wolverine, you think about, you know, the, you know, Cal Dodd from uh, the X Men animated series of the nineties, but when you when you think about that, when you listen to this podcast of what Richard Armitage achieves, it's quite exceptional, quite exceptional indeed. So, Wolverine: The Long Night, uh, season one, is told from the perspective that of two detectives that are uh, investigating into this, uh, I guess, this slate of deaths or, or murders that are happening in this Alaskan town. So Wolverine is actually pitched from the start of this series as the antagonist. So I find it quite interesting that it came from that perspective. There is a comic book that sort of retold this story, but it doesn't uh, retell the story with the, the, I guess, the gravitas that this uh, podcast does. And Anthony, I haven't had a chance to listen to this podcast. Is it uh, solely Armitage uh, or is there a full voice cast uh, in the, the production? Full voice cast. Wonderful. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So no one likes the, you know, the where it sounds like it's reading a book. No one likes that. Um, oh, right, right. And I, I think we're just, uh, well, I don't. And I, I feel <laughs> like we're just, <laughs> uh, we're too spoiled the land we're in the time now where there's you know like sandman with that cast and this obviously came out before sandman in 2018 so um yeah there's a full cast um the characters that turn up uh that are memorable for people who have read x-men and wolverine comics you have uh well not in this season but in season two uh you have uh, gambit turns up Mastermind turns up, Ruby Baptiste turns up, Maureen turns up. Everyone who's read Wolverine knows who Maureen is. So, um, yeah, it's a great, it's a great podcast. Yeah, I um, love audio drama, um, and I know that it's bigger outside of the U.S. than here. Um, but interestingly, I was such a big fan of the Hunger Games book series that before the movies came out, uh, some uh, colleagues and I adapted all of the books into audio drama format. Uh, and it was a three-year project that we did um, uh, and very fortunate to have uh, the audio drama listened to all across the world uh, and to, to reach folks all across the world. So we were really excited to do that. But ever since then, I've been a big proponent of audio drama. It's just such a wonderful medium to reach people. Um, and uh, can, especially like you were saying, has so many uh, wonderful things that it's doing now with the Sandman and other popular titles. So it's it's really great that it's having a resurgence right now. Excellent. So let's do the verdicts then. 
So, Barbara, were any of my choices your kind of weird? Oh, absolutely. I'd say all 100% were my kind of weird. Excellent. And you do, do you have a question to ask me? I do. Anthony, were any of my selections your kind of weird? Uh, yeah, they all were, in fact. So um, I feel like I need to read The Hunger Games. I haven't listened to the Star Wars podcast yet, but then I don't have a Star Wars podcast I listen to. But I guess your pitch alone makes me want to check that out. So. I think you'll love it. If you need specific episode recommendations, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right, we're going to go to a quick sponsor break, and when we get back, I'm going to interview Barbara. Hello again, everyone. Producer Andy here again. Last time, I asked you to visit sodaandtelepaths.com to read all the latest on comics, science fiction, and horror. Listen, I've been looking at the stats, and I couldn't help but notice that not all of you went to the site. That's okay. You don't have to. But it would mean a tremendous amount to me if you did. As a reminder, on sodaandtelepaths.com, you can read all the site's interviews with people in the entertainment industry. There are movie and comic reviews. There are opinion pieces. It's enlightening, entertaining, and enlightening. Or do you not want to know about that stuff? Perhaps you have better things to be doing on the internet. Perhaps you know the keyboard shortcut to open up an incognito browser in Chrome. It's Control-Shift-N. Or maybe you have some self-respect. Maybe you don't consider that one dude who thumbs up all your weird comments on Pornhub your best friend. And if you are one of those wholesome types, then get yourself over to sodaandtelepaths.com. Okay? Please, don't make me ask again. All right, Barbara, so you're the editor-in-chief for Fanbase Press. So for those who aren't familiar with Fanbase Press, tell us a bit about the website. Absolutely. So Fanbase Press has been running since uh, 2010, uh, and we are both a a comic book publisher and a geek culture website. Uh, Our tagline is that we both celebrate fandoms and create new ones uh, because we not only publish comics, graphic novels, and other works, uh, but we love supporting other creators and fans themselves because we are fans ourselves. So we want to be able to uh, sort of revel in all of the things that we're talking about here on this podcast and more. at the end of the day, everyone is a fan of something, whether that be science, whether that be comics, movies, TV, you know, everything in between. Uh, and, and we want to celebrate that in a very inclusive and positive way. Um, some of our more well-known titles uh, in terms of publishing might be uh, Kinsey, which was uh, Eisner nominated in 2018. It's the story about a teenager who garners superpowers on her quinceanera, but she only has them for the year that she's 15. Uh, And we originally released it in both English and Spanish uh, digitally uh, and then released it in print and English. And we were very excited last year, although it hit right at the time of the pandemic. uh, We put out an oversized hardcover that contained both the English and Spanish editions uh, so that uh, those interested could could utilize both, especially in the classroom, because it's it's great for learning. But we've got a ton of other titles. Uh, We try to um, release content for all different age groups and all different genres because we want to to appeal to all audiences. 
And how did you come to be the editor at Fanbase Press? Sure. So my husband and I uh, founded the company in 2010. Uh, at the time, we were working with another partner, but he's since moved on to other endeavors. So uh, we uh, both came from theater backgrounds when we were younger uh, and then worked in the TV and film industry when we moved out here to Los Angeles. Um, and we really just uh, kind of got jaded by the industry. We, you know, there was such a, a business aspect to it and it really lost the creative aspect that we that we knew and loved uh, from our, our prior work. So we wanted to do something that really did focus on the work that felt like it it highlighted creators that don't have the the platform or the voice that they require because not not everyone can work for a Marvel or a DC, but that in no way means that they don't have the same level of talent or you know the same wonderful stories and perspectives that still deserve to be heard. So a lot of times we we really like to focus on those stories that have really resonating characters and a positive message to share. Mm, mm. Now, I guess that positivity is really important. And I guess the, um, the, the message that you don't need to work for Marvel or DC to work in comics. That's, that's um, obviously that's the, you know, that's the, the mountain that people, a lot of people try to climb, but you find more often than not, even those that have worked for Marvel or DC, don't work there anymore because mm-hmm. there there's usually a reason behind that. So absolutely, yeah, it's 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 sh- been tough these past few years, especially with the pandemic. But there's there's been a lot of toxicity, unfortunately, in the comic book industry. But um, fortunately, uh, platforms like Kickstarter. Uh, and other crowdfund- crowdfunding platforms have allowed more marginalized creators to tell their stories. Hmm. Mm. And how big is the fan base press team? Uh, so in terms of publishing, uh, it's really just my husband and I that are uh, doing the work behind the scenes. And, and we are a boutique company, so we only take on so many titles at a time because we do everything from development all the way through marketing, production, sales, etc. Um, but uh, in terms of our geek culture website, we actually have a staff all across the country that does daily reviews, interviews. We have a whole podcast network um, because even for those titles that we're unable to publish, we still want to be able to support other creators. So we'll, we'll do reviews, interviews, and podcast uh, spots to help them spread the word. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the – there's – there's a certain element in comics where people feel, okay, you do this one thing, you're a reviewer or you, you're a writer or you're an artist, but you can't be an artist and a writer. You can't do that. No, no, no. Or you can't be a reviewer and then go into, you know, creating your own comic book. Um, have you ever felt pushback? Oh, goodness, yes. I can't uh, count the number of times that we've heard that we cannot both review and support other creators that are not uh, within our own stable of talent. And I just don't agree with that at all. Um, I've now seen more companies that are actually starting to do it, uh, which I think is great. Um, I, I, I realize that this is a business at the end of the day, but for us, uh, this is a community and uh, there are millions of stories that beg to be told. And so I am in no way going to uh, create a barrier for for. Um, creators that I'm not able to financially support in sharing their story through publishing, I certainly don't want to stand in the way from them sharing their story and getting it out there. So I'm absolutely happy to support creators of all kinds uh, in, in spreading the word about their work. 
So usually at the end of each year, it's quite popular for uh, review sites, comic review sites, to put together a list, a top 10 list, if you will, of comic books that resonated with that reviewer or the team of reviewers for the year just gone. Which comic books have resonated with you for the year so far? Oh, that's a good question. So I am embarrassed to say, uh, so I had twins in December. So uh, I have not sadly been able to take in a great deal of content. Um, But um, I will just say that when I was uh, still able to read, um, Tilly Walden uh, is an amazing writer and artist, uh, Eisner Award winning. Uh, I really adore what she's doing. I I think that it's fantastic work. Um, And then just books that I can think off the top of my head that I've read uh, as of late were uh, The Prince and the Dressmaker was really fantastic. Um, Everything that Scout Comics is doing right now is really fantastic. So they're an up and coming publisher um, led by Charlie Stickney and they're doing really fantastic work. So I would say if, if folks are looking for a new indie publisher, Scout Comics is a a great way to go. Now, I'm only going to touch on this because you mentioned it yourself, um, having just had twins. um, Do you feel that the comic book industry treats uh, women fairly in terms of, uh, and I'm not meaning in terms of pay or anything like that, I guess it sort of touches on it, but men or uh, people who, um, or I guess just anyone who chooses not to have kids, um, don't really have, I guess, the the issue of having to take time off work um, to to you know have kids. I mean, there might be in some cases you might you might take per, you know some kind of parental leave or you know time off a project. But do you feel like you were because you decided to have kids that you kind of had to put interests in comics on hold because you're making that decision? Sure, that's a good question. So first, I'm very fortunate in that uh, given that I run my own company, I can be very flexible with myself and uh, am afforded a lot more because of that. Um, But interestingly, I actually, in addition to Fanbase Press, which is its own full-time job, uh, have another full-time job um, that sort of pays the bills. Um, so I guess the, it's a, a yes and no question in terms of does the comics industry treat women fairly? Um, unfortunately I have seen a lot of women and non-binary individuals, uh, and trans individuals treated very disrespectfully and very poorly in this industry. Uh, I know that at having attended many conventions myself, Uh, both as an exhibitor and an attendee. Um, I have been on the receiving end of a lot of that uh, disrespectful treatment, um, but nowhere to the level that unfortunately some of the folks uh, have been treated. So I I am very fortunate to be in the situation that I am where I can make my my finances for my family outside of the industry um, and also that I can run my own company um, and hopefully treat the our staff uh, as they should be treated and and our our fans and readers the same with the the due amount of respect that they should receive. Yeah, yeah. Um, how 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 old are the twins now? Are they still <laughs> what, a year old or? Uh, not even. They're uh, just turned four months, uh, so we're we're not sleeping wow. quite yet. But no, um, no, I don't, I don't <laughs> imagine you would be. <laughs> no, but uh, we, but we don't know any better. These are our first and only children, so we certainly don't know any better other than you know having twins. So I think we were 
uh, we got lucky that we got two out of the way and, and now we're done. So. <laughs> oh, you're, you're one of those those families, two and, yeah. two and done. <laughs> two and done, yes. Yeah, all, all at once. Uh, but then you'll, you know, same birthdays on the same day. Exactly. Um, and always, it's close uh, to... One will always want what the other one has. Exactly. And it's close to Christmas, so we've we've got to worry about that as well. But, but it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. What's on the agenda for fan base press moving forward? Have you gotten, you said you have two arms, one your review arm and the other arm is uh, actually uh, releasing your own work. Uh, what's in the pipeline? Absolutely. So right now we actually just launched a new series called Nuclear Power. Issue one is now available on both Hoopla and Comixology. And this is an alternate history tale of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, and it's uh, written and illustrated by a team that has all come out of the DC Talent Workshop. Uh, it's co-written by Erica Harrell and Desiree Proctor and illustrated by Lynn Yoshii. And um, what they do is is really uh, incredibly prescient, especially here in the U.S., but uh, given the situation politically in other countries as well, uh, we kind of compare it to the, the Handmaid's Tale meets the X-Men in that it's, it's really tackling the tenets of what it means to be a democracy, what is necessary for democracy, especially uh, battling disinformation, battling uh, xenophobia. Uh, and we really tackle all of these things head on in this series. It, it is a, a six issue series. Um, all issues will be released digitally first, uh, and then we'll be collecting a printed trade paperback this October timed with the anniversary of the the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis. But it's it's fantastic. Lynn's artwork is truly phenomenal, and the the writing is really on point. So we're, we're very excited about this new series. Uh, what is the inspiration when it comes to alternate history? Is it just your um uh, I guess your love for it, or is there something that I guess is the catalyst for even approaching a book like this in the first place? Sure. So this, uh, the inspiration actually came uh, in that this this book was submitted to us by Erica and Desiree as a writing team, and uh, it was inspired by their mother's experiences after the Cuban miss missile crisis. Their mothers are both Cuban in descent, um, and they had to and really were forced to Americanize. Uh, after the Cuban Missile Crisis. So uh, that experience and how it has impacted their family over the decades really inspired uh, this story and, and about educating people not to fear the unknown and not to hate the unknown. Um, but as I mentioned, it, it just really became so much more prescient, especially in the last four years that it was being developed in the last four years, unfortunately, of, of what we were experiencing here in the United States. Excellent. Excellent. Barbara, where can people find you online? Sure. So everyone can find us at fanbasepress.com. We're on all of the social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can find us everywhere just by searching for Fanbase Press. Excellent. Well, Barbara, thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, I love what you guys are doing, you, you and your husband, uh, what you guys are doing. You're doing great work. So keep up that, definitely. Thank you, Anthony. And thanks for having me on. I'm a fan of the show, so it was really fun to participate. No worries at all. And uh, for anyone who has enjoyed this episode, you can uh, subscribe to us by um, going to wherever you get your podcast from. Um, if you're already listening, probably figured out half of how to do that, so that's great. Um, from me, Anthony, your host from My Kind of Weird, I'm going to leave you all with one certain message stop what you're doing put things down and go read something and that's it for this week guys i'll see you in a fortnight
tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party. Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free comedy to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads.